You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Before we turn our attention to the preaching of God's Word, at this time in our service, we always take time to pray together. That's what the pastoral prayer is. is. Even though one of us is leading the pastoral prayer, it is a time for us as a congregation to pray together. And this morning, as we pray as a congregation, I was really just compelled. His book with this sentence. Is there any activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer. (laughs) That bears repeating. Is there any activity more essential to the Christian life and yet more discouraging in the Christian life than prayer? He goes on to say, we, we know we should pray. We want to pray. Or at least we want to want to pray. We admire those who pray. And yet when it actually comes to praying, most of us feel like failures. If someone asks us right now, how's your prayer life going? Very few of us would be happy for the question and confident in our response. We wish we prayed more often. We wish we prayed longer. We wish we prayed better. I bet none of us anticipates getting to the end of our lives and thinking to ourselves, you know what? I feel really good about what my prayer life has been all these years. We are much more apt to resonate with the question I read from a pastor several years ago as he reflected on his own life and prayer. He said, how can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? (laughs) Can you relate to those feelings about prayer? I sure do. I can relate to the struggle See, I know that prayer is essential to the Christian life. And I know that prayer is essential to the life of a pastor. However, I I find it hard to pray. It does not come easy for me. I find it hard to pray. And I regularly feel like a failure in my prayer life. And I have a feeling I'm not alone. Now, I'm aware that there are numerous reasons we have trouble praying. There there could be practical reasons. There could be spiritual reasons. However, I believe there is a foundational reason for why we often don't pray as we ought. And unless we get this foundational reason, we, we will not grow in our prayer life. And this foundational aspect of prayer, it's clearly on display here in Matthew chapter 6 and 7. 
You see, what Jesus taught His disciples on prayer during the Sermon on the Mount, it answers two fundamental questions. Questions that cannot be understood apart from grasping the foundation of all prayer. So we want to get at what is the foundation for all prayer by asking these two questions in which Jesus seeks to answer. If you're taking notes, here's our outline this morning. How do we pray? And why should we pray? That's what Jesus addresses here in Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 7, the passages we just read. He's going to get at this foundational truth about prayer, but in order to get there, he, he poses these two questions. How do we pray? And we see why we should pray. Let's begin with that first question. How do we pray? Look back at Matthew chapter 6. And look with me at verses 5 through 9 for just a moment. And pay careful attention to the contrast. Notice the contrast here. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not. And then verse 8. Do not be like them. So three times, here's how you are not to pray, followed by verses 6 and 9. But when you pray, verse 6, and pray like this, verse 9. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? In chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. What he's doing here is so helpful. It's actually quite brilliant. Jesus gives us two negative examples that demonstrate the way people may be tempted to pray. This was true in his day, and he's going to use examples. But they're true today also. These are two ways we can be tempted to pray. That's what we see in these verses. The first way Jesus draws our attention to the ways we can pray here in verses 5-6 through six is like the religious hypocrites. Notice this again in verses 5-6. through six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who is in secret will reward you. What, what is Jesus meaning by pointing to the religious hypocrites of the day? He says they pray to impress others. That's the, that's, that's, that's the essence of, of their prayer. They may be talking to God. They may be addressing God. They may be using language that is associated with God. But they are not speaking to God. They know everyone else is listening. And they want to sound pious and religious and all put together. And they want everybody to be impressed and say, Man, that guy knows how to pray. Ooh, that woman knows how to pray. They're praying to impress Others. That's one way we can be tempted to pray. But there's a second way. We see it in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. So, 
First, Jesus points to the religious of his day and say, many of them pray in such a way, they go into the street, they make sure they're at the right place in the synagogue so everybody can hear them. That's the way the religious pray. But the Gentiles pray differently. And he says, they pray with many words, thinking that by many words they will be heard. Now here's the question, heard by who? We can think heard by others. It, it can almost seem like he's saying the same thing in the second group as the first group. But verse 8 shows us who they want to be heard by. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do you, do you get what Jesus is saying? The Gentiles pray. Those who are not the religious of the day, they pray. These prayers not to impress others, but to impress God. <laughs> maybe if I pray certain prayers, maybe if I say certain words, maybe if I pray long enough, maybe if I use a few theological terms, maybe God will say, okay, that's it. Okay, good. You use the right word. You can have whatever you're asking for. So there are the two temptations. To pray to impress others. And to pray to impress God. Jesus shows us these two types of errors so that He can get to the heart of what it means to pray. According to Jesus, how then should we pray? If we're not to pray like the religious hypocrites who pray to impress others, and we're not to pray like the Gentiles who pray to try to impress God, how then should we pray? Well, if we were to read this passage simplistically, we could say, well, one thing we're to do is we're to only pray privately, never publicly. Right? Isn't that what Jesus just said? Don't, don't, don't go into your closet, pray by yourself. Well, that's not what Jesus is implying. Or we could read the next section and say, well, Jesus loves short prayers, not long prayers. We should not pray long. We should only pray short prayers. Or maybe we could say, well, it's obvious what Jesus wants us to do. He tells us wrong ways to pray, and then He turns around and says, pray like this. And He tells us exactly how to pray. Maybe we should just pray the Lord's Prayer. I mean, can you beat the words of Jesus? Isn't that what Jesus is saying here? Well, the Lord's Prayer is definitely a wonderful model, but I don't think that's the point of this passage that Jesus is saying. The only way we are to pray is to pray the Lord's Prayer. Don't pray any other way. Don't ask for any other things. So we drill in a little deeper. And we say, no, Jesus isn't concerned with whether we pray privately or publicly, whether we pray long prayers or short prayers. He, he, he's, he's not concerned whether we pray the exact words of the Lord's Prayer. What Jesus is concerned with here is that we have the right motives in prayer, and that's true. Jesus is addressing motives here in this passage. We're not to pray to impress others. We're not to pray to impress God. However, that's not the main point Jesus is making. If we're not careful, we can miss the obvious implication in this passage. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus' admonition about prayer wasn't exclusively focused on the way we are to pray. It's focused 
on who we pray to. That's what matters. Do you see it again? Look at verse 6. And verse 8. And verse 9. What do all of these have in common? Jesus says, your problem is not that you pray in public to be heard. Is that when you pray, you forget you have a father who hears and rewards. Your problem isn't simply that you pray long prayers, is that you pray thinking that your words will get God's attention and may gain God's favor. He's your father. It doesn't work that way. So when Jesus says, how should you pray? How does he begin? Our Father in heaven. We can miss this foundational point. It's, it's, it's right here. And it's not only right here in this passage. This concept of relating to God as our heavenly Father. It's actually crucial to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know a central theme to the Sermon on the Mount? It's this point. That as God's people, because of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, God is your Father. Why do I say this is a crucial point in this sermon? Well, the sermon begins in chapter 5, and in verse 16, for the first time, Jesus says, In the same way, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First time he says it, chapter 5, verse 16. He goes on to say the same thing about God being our heavenly Father in verse 45 of chapter 5. And then verse 48 of chapter 5. Then, right before our passage, Jesus begins to talk about some of the religious practices. And in verses 1 through 4, he talks about giving and giving to the needy. And he says, don't give to the needy so that everyone will see what you're doing. Don't you know your father sees you and he will reward you? And then after our passage we just read, in verses 14 through 15, he tells us to forgive. And how does he come? What does he say about our forgiveness? Our forgiveness should be in the same way our Father forgives us, we forgive others. Then in verse 18, Jesus talks about us having a Father who rewards us when we fast. So he rewards us when we give, when we pray, when we fast. And then. Jesus starts talking about not being anxious about where our food and our clothing and our shelter is going to come from. And in verse 26 of chapter 6, He basically says, don't you know your Father knows what you need? Don't you know He'll provide? He says it again in verse 32. And then in chapter 7, verses 9-11, through the passage we just read a moment ago, He compares... God the Heavenly Father with earthly fathers. Now if you were confused by what does Jesus mean when He says even if your Father who is evil gives you good gifts. He's saying compared to God the Father, the best Father on the planet is evil compared to Him. And yet, what good Father if His Son asks Him 
for bread would give him a stone. If he asked for fish, would give him a serpent. If that's true of the father of the year, and he's evil compared to the God of the universe, then how much more so should you expect that when you ask things of your heavenly father, that he will not give you what you need? Then to round out this passage in chapter 7, verse 21, we have another reference to God as Father. Do you, do, you, do you see the point? This idea of God as Father is crucial to the Sermon on the Mount. Now the fact that Jesus made reference to God as His heavenly Father, that, that's one thing. That makes sense. But it's another thing altogether to tell us that if we are united with Christ, we too can relate to God in the same way. Don't let this, don't let this point just go right past you. What Jesus was saying in the Sermon of the Mount is remarkable. And it would have landed on the ears of his original audience with great weight. And surprise. Why do I say that? Because God is referred to as Father only a handful of times in the entire Old Testament. You can count them on your hands. How many times from Genesis to Malachi that that God is referred to as Father. Jesus now is preaching about God. And He calls Him Father so many times. And He doesn't just call Him Father. He tells His his followers, you can call Him Father. So get, get this. Compared to the handful of times that God is called Father in the entire Old Testament, in the New Testament, God is referred to as Father 245 times. He's referred to as Father 170 in the Gospels. And of those 170, 44 times God is referred to Father in Matthew's Gospel alone. And 17 of those are the most concentrated here in the Sermon on the Mount. We can miss this. We can get lost in what Jesus just said about prayer Because we can pay attention either to, okay, so we're not to pray like this, we're not to pray like this. Okay, let's study the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, we we don't do a 30,000 foot view and say, whoa, do you hear how we are to respond to God in prayer? We are to go to Him as our Father. That is how we're to approach Him. Any other way, you will abuse prayer. Any other way, you will neglect prayer. You must see God as your Father. Now, what does it mean to call God our Father? Why, why, why use this, this idea of Him as, as Father? What does it convey to us? Well, I just want to go back to a few of these passages again. and Listen, just in the Sermon on the Mount, Listen to the way that God is spoken of. Chapter 5, verses 44 through 45 of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said to His disciples, But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Do you hear how God is spoken of? We're called to love like He loves. How does He love? He's a heavenly Father that gives both the good and the evil what they don't deserve. That's what it means that He's Father. Think about chapter 6. Verses 4, 6, and 18, when Jesus is, is, is reminding His disciples, don't, don't give so that you're seen by others. Don't pray to be seen by others. Don't fast to be seen by others. Do it so that you get what? Your Father rewards. What does that say about the Father? He loves to reward. He's not a God who is stingy but loves to give. Chapter 6, verse 14, we're told that as a father, he forgives. What about chapter 6, verse 26 and 32? This is in the context of Jesus telling his disciples, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. And listen to these words. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them all. Do you see the point? As Jesus is reminding His disciples why they're not to worry about their daily provisions, don't you know you have a Father who takes care of the birds and He takes care of of the flowers of the field? What kind of Father do you think He is? He knows your needs. And He loves to meet them. Because you're His children. Then in chapter 7, verse 11, as we just discussed a minute ago, compares... God the Father with the best of fathers. Saying, if a child goes to their father and asks him for this, is he not going to give him what he's, what he's needing? Our God loves to give. You see, he's, he's generous. So put all this together. You, you, if you look at the profile, but every time you see God referred to His Father, here's what you discover. He's benevolent. He's good. He's generous. He's caring. And He doesn't treat us as we deserve. That's what it means to call Him Father. Look at, go back and look at Matthew's Gospel. When He's called Father, it's not just some phrase that Jesus is throwing out there Oh, okay, so when we pray, we say our Father in heaven. No, there's meaning to it. What does it mean to call Him Father? A Father is generous. A Father is good. A Father is benevolent. A Father is caring about His children. And a Father doesn't treat His children as they deserve. And the clearest and the greatest expression of what it means that God is Father to us was revealed to us when God the Father sent His Son into the world to save His people from their sins. How do we know He's Father? Because we look at Jesus. The One who was sent. The perfect One who was sent by the Father to obey in our place. And to die in our place. So that we don't receive what we deserve. Which is judgment. 
we receive forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. That's what it means to call God Father. Now this brings us back to the letter of Galatians. I told you I've been wanting to preach this message for some time. And I didn't know when this message would fit in. And I felt like after we made our way through Galatians 4, this, this was that time. Because if you remember back to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, we heard these glorious truths proclaimed by the Apostle Paul. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Church, listen. Our adoption as children of God was made possible through the atoning work of Jesus. And this is the foundation of our prayer life. This is the foundation of our prayer life. Is this how you approach God? Do you approach God as your Father? Do you approach Him as His beloved child? And do you approach Him as a Father, as His child, because of Jesus Christ? If you do not approach God as Father, if you do not approach Him as His beloved child, and you do not approach Him as both of those only because of what Jesus has done, you will not pray correctly. You will either neglect prayer as we abuse prayer as we see in chapter 6 verses 5 through 8, or you will neglect prayer in chapter 7 verses 7 through 11. See, the antidote to both the abuse of prayer and the neglect of prayer is that we view God as our Father, we as His children, and all of it is possible because of Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you this morning. Is this how you approach God in prayer? Is this how you view the one to whom you're praying to? The late theologian J.I. Packer Oh, he could say things so well. Listen to what he said. In his book on the Lord's Prayer, he says, the vitality of prayer lies largely in the vision of God that prompts it. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. <laughs> Listen to that again. Drab thoughts of God make prayer dull. Do you have a dull prayer life? Can I submit to you that you may have drab thoughts of God? Now that may not be your only reason, but it must be the starting place. Do I not pray as I ought because I have drab thoughts of God? I do not see Him as my Father. I do not see myself as his beloved child. Is that how you view God? You see, friends, if you're failing to pray as you ought, guilt will not motivate. 
You want to pray more? Don't have drab thoughts of God. <laughs> Don't come to Him as His. He's demanding, here's one more thing you need to do. Once you get saved, make sure you pray. No, He's a God that says, do you know I am an amazing Father? And you can come to me and ask anything. And as my child, I will meet your needs. He, he may not give you everything you want. And He may not give you everything you ask. But He will give you everything you need. Do we approach Him that way? See, if you're failing to pray well, listen, guilt will not motivate. A better routine, routine may be helpful, but it's not the long-term solution. Maybe one of the reasons you're struggling to pray is you don't have a routine. You think, okay, if I just get a better routine, maybe I'll pray better. Well, that may be true, but I wouldn't start there. I would ask yourself, do you have drab thoughts of God? <laughs> that might be the reason for your dull prayer life. Maybe you think, you know, I just need to read some books on prayer. Well, reading books on prayer are helpful. But at the end of the day, that will not motivate you to pray. See, when we approach God as our Father, and we see ourselves as His beloved children, and we do so as those who have a relationship with Him based on Jesus Christ, that changes everything. When we view God as our Father... Us as His beloved children, only because of Jesus Christ. That's a game changer. So that is how we pray. We pray as those who, if we've repented of our sins, placed our faith in Christ, have a relationship with God, we pray as those who now know our God is our Father. We are His children. And we don't get to be His children, or we don't stop being His children based on what we've done or failed to do. It's because of the finished work of Christ. That's how we pray. So why should we pray? Well, church family, seeing God as our Heavenly Father motivates how we pray and it motivates why we pray. You see, by relating to God as Father when we pray, here's what we're doing. It doesn't just motivate how we pray, it, it motivates why we pray. Seeing Him as Father. Because by seeing Him as Father, we're acknowledging that He is the source of everything we need. This is why we pray. We pray because we have needs. And we pray to God as Father, not simply because that's what He asks us to do. We pray because He is the source of every need we have. We're dependent. We are needy. He is all-sufficient. That's why we pray. We, that's what it means to call God Father. Because He is our Father, He is our provider, and He is the giver of everything. Listen to how Jesus' brother said it in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from who? Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There it is again. Even James says... You want to talk about God as Father? How do you understand Him? He's the giver of every good thing. This is why we pray. We come to Him as one, as those who have needs. But look again at the Lord's Prayer. I want to focus our attention 
to the last half of, of the prayer, and then we'll come back to the first half. In verses 6 through 11, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our debts, as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pay attention to all of that. Did you hear what we are to pray? Jesus said, you want to know how to pray? Pray this way. Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. He is the one who can do all those things. He's the only one who can give. He's the only one who can lead. He's the only one who can deliver. And we have a need for all these things. We have a need for our daily provision. We have a a need for our spiritual provision. The Lord's Prayer covers all of that. Basically what we're doing when we're praying is we're saying, I am dependent on you. I have physical needs. I have spiritual needs. And guess what? You are the answer. Everything I need. You can provide. That's what it means to call God our Father. It says we're we're dependent on Him. Church, let's be clear on the purpose of prayer. We don't pray for God's benefit. We pray for our own benefit. You see, we don't pray to inform or persuade God to act. Think about what Jesus just said. He says, why why should you not pray like the religious and like the Gentile? Why, Why should you expect God to provide your needs? Because He's a God who knows it before you ask. And He's a God who cares. And if we go back to chapter 5, verse 45, and we're to love like Him, He's a God who gives sun and rain to the unjust and to the just and to the good and to the evil. He's not a God who we're praying to, because he says, oh, wow, I had no idea you had that need. Thanks for informing me. We're not going to say, God, I have this need. You know about it. But, but i got to beg you. You're like a judge. I'm going before your bench, and I have to make my case. No. We're not making our case as if he needs to be persuaded. His heart is for us. We're not praying to inform God. We're not praying to persuade God. We're not praying, hoping we haven't done too many things this week that He's going to say, no, sorry. You're grounded. (laughs) Can't do that. Can't give that. He's a God who gives us the gift of prayer, not for His benefit, but for our own. That is why we pray. See, dependence on God as Father through the act of prayer. Listen, it provides us with security. That's why why we pray. We don't pray because God needs us to pray. We pray because by praying, it affords us the opportunity to experience the Father's care for His children. That's what happens when I pray. When you pray... You can ask that question, well, if God already knows my need and God's already gonna, God cares about my need, then why pray? Because we have a father who says, I want you to know my care for you. And when you pray, I'm giving you access to come in and tell me all the things that are on your heart and I'm listening. What a gift. That's why we pray. But there's one more reason we ought to pray. 
since God is our Father. It's not only because we're dependent upon Him, but if He's our Father, we pray because prayer is an act of worship. We must not miss how the Lord's Prayer begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you notice that? What is the starting point of our prayers? Before a need is mentioned, provide us our daily bread, deliver us from evil. Where does prayer begin? Not with us. Prayer is an act of worship. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is an act of worship. You know what that means? Prayerlessness is practical atheism. That's what prayer, prayerlessness is. It's, a, it's an act of practical atheism. Think about it. If God is our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord and He's eager to meet our needs, yet we fail to acknowledge that, that He is the one who provides and we fail to go to Him to, to meet our needs, what are we functionally saying? See, I can say, oh, I believe God meets my every need and I believe that I am needy. But if you fail to pray, you're making a loud statement. You're making a loud statement. You really don't believe that. See, prayer, prayerlessness is practical atheism. It's us not relating to God as our Father that we're dependent upon, who is generous, who is eager to meet our needs and has provided a way for our every need to be met. So, what must we do if we want to grow in our prayer life, well, we must start with this foundation of seeing God as our Father, we as His children, and all of this is possible through Jesus Christ. So let me just su suggest these things as I close. First thing I would suggest you to do, if you're here this morning, you say, Josh, I so struggle to pray. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. Where, where would you encourage me to begin? Here's my first encouragement. Focus on the Father. Michael Reeves says the following, when you pray, don't think about the act of praying. Focus on the one you're praying to. How often do we spend so much time focusing on, uh, am I saying the right thing? Am I going in the right order? You know, Thanksgiving, adoration, all of these things. And we get so lost. Am, am I saying the right words? Am I going in the right order? Am I praying? Oh, man, I think I've repeated that several times. And we're so worried about how we pray instead of the one we're praying to. He's not a father who we come before and he says, ah, you got some things wrong. Try again tomorrow. Use this illustration in the past before, borrowing it from, from a friend when I heard him say it, it just had an impact on me. Think about a new dad. The baby's just learning to walk. 
And their head's bigger than their body, and they're kind of rocking, and they're stumbling, and they take it, well, they really just take a step, they just kind of fall forward and hope that a leg comes out to catch them. And they fall over. What does that dad do? He doesn't say, how long is it going to take you to walk? It's not hard. Put one foot in front of the other. No, that kid stands up and his head gets moving forward and he puts one foot and then he goes, Poof. and what does that dad do? <laughs> Look at you. You're learning to walk. We don't have a heavenly father who's saying, oh, you went too long again. Or you didn't pray long enough. You fell asleep while you were praying. Or you were praying and bird, I can't hear you now. No, he's our father. Focus on the father. Second thing, don't, don't forget who you are in Christ. Michael Reeves, who I quoted from a minute ago, he said this, knowing I'm a beloved child of God protects me from thinking of prayer as a ladder to God. An exercise by which I work my way into his favor. No, prayer doesn't make me more accepted. Prayer is growing in the appreciation of what I've already been given. United to Christ in him, I am a cherished son. My father delights to hear from me. And to our father, prayer is an incense. It's a pleasing smell to him. In other words... He delights to hear and help. You're struggling to pray. Here's my encouragement. Focus on the Father. Remember that if you're in Jesus Christ, who you are, you're a beloved child. Thirdly, look to the cross. Michael Reeves goes on to say, if you still can't pray, after doing all those things, look to the cross. The cross is God's guarantee that He will hear the prayers of His children. So look to the blood of Christ when you pray. See how He has covered your sins. See how He has opened the way to heaven. See how He loves you. Can you doubt that He longs to hear from you? You want to pray with greater fervency? You want to be in a place where you're not neglecting prayer or abuse prayer? Then remember who you're praying to. And remember who you are as you pray. And look to the cross that made it possible for you to be God's children and to call Him Father. And for him to dare hear a word of yours and to answer it. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what I've done. It is because of what God has done through us in Jesus Christ. So let us be people who pray to our Father as his children because of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, help us now to to really grasp this truth and to live in the good of it now. You are the Father 
who is generous and good and the giver of every good thing. And if we have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, we now are your children. And we are forever secure and can bring to you every request because of Christ alone. Help us to be people who pray big prayers, not dull prayers. Because we have a great view of our God, not a dull view of our God. We pray this now for the glory of your name. Amen.